Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. so we can talk about them? Perfect. I really liked those songs we sang. Those were fun. It was like I, I re- remembered like why we're here. I was like, oh yeah, we're here for revival. We want people to know Jesus. And I was just like, oh, this is good. Good reminder. Good reminder. Well, you guys got me for a few more weeks, so hang in there. Um, I've noticed being up in front of you guys every week is is challenging for in some ways, but especially when I get ready in the morning, like I am really nervous putting on shirts because I am pretty sure I wore this last week. So, <laughs> and I'm just standing, every week I'm like, what did I wear last week? I can't, I have like five shirts on rotation. So now, you know, no surprises. Um, and the funny thing is that they're all like Taylor's or Eric shirts too. So you've probably seen them on them before. Um, there I am. Here I am world. Um, so we're, we're in the book of Exodus, this series called Redemption. Where is that book? You guys might have one of these. I don't know if we have any more. So if you lost it, I'm so sorry, but we could print some more. But we're in this series called Redemption, uh, looking at the book of Exodus and focusing on how God redeems us. He sets us free, he pays for that freedom, and he renews us. Those, all those things are redemption. And God just as he's renewing and redeeming the Israelites, he's doing that today in our lives. And um, so far in the story, we're at the point of um, him renewing the Israelites. They're free from Egypt. They're out of captivity. And now God's renewing them into his image, teaching them how to worship him, how to follow him. And as we'll see, especially today, though they're out of Egypt, they've been brought out of Egypt, they're not yet into the promised land. That's what what God is doing in redemption. He brings us out and then brings us in. He brings us out of worshiping everything but him and then brings us into his presence to worship Jesus. So they're out of Egypt, but Egypt still lives in their hearts. Like seriously, they love Egypt and they're free from Egypt, but they still are captured by it in a lot of ways in their heart. And we see that, we'll see that especially today. He's leading them to the promised land. God's presence is with them, and he's not taking them the most direct route. If you looked on a map, he's actually taking them in the, the wrong way, away from the promised land, and they're heading right toward Mount Sinai um, because he wants them to be people of his presence. He, he's he's going to fulfill his promise and give them a land, like he said, but more than a land, I think, he wants them to be people that know him, that know his presence, that worship him. And that's the same for us today. We're not heading to a zip code, a promised land per se. We're, we're heading to God's presence. We are wanting more and more to walk in his presence every day. That's, that's redemption for us. So these next few weeks, heading up into Easter, there's going to be an emphasis on worship um, in this story because um, I, I would assert, I would say that all of your problems, all of my problems, all of your issues and my issues are worship problems or worship issues. And we worship our way into things. We, and not in the sense of we write songs about it and put it on a screen and then sing with a, a group of people. Not in that sense, but we ascribe value to things, to people, to ideas, to experiences. And then we sacrifice, make sacrifices for that. And we worship those things. So, and then we find ourselves in all kinds of messes because of that. And so Israel uh, has worshiped their way into a mess and they're going to worship their way out. And that's, that's what we're doing today too. We, we've worshiped our way into things and we're going to worship our way out. We're going to worship Jesus and be led out and brought in. So after the manna story, which was last, uh, last week, God provided miraculously in bread, like falling from heaven to feed these people out in the middle of, of nowhere they head toward Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is where uh, most people think Moses received his call from God. It, it, uh, 
I think we talked a little bit about it. He met God in the burning bush, but the bush wasn't going away. It just was on fire, but not being consumed. And he heard God speak to him from this bush, telling him to go back to Egypt and lead the people out on Mount Sinai. So now he's led them out. They've been brought out of Egypt and they're back here at Mount Sinai where Moses received his commission to go. God has led them straight for Sinai. And um, we're going to be in chapter 32, chapter 32 of Exodus. If you remember, we were in, I think, chapter 16 last time. So we're jumping like 16 chapters. So uh, we'll do a little bit of catch up, but um, you'll just have to take my word for it or go back and read it today, okay? They're really good chapters, but we're going to be in chapter 32. So I'm going to pray because we do got to get through um, a lot of stuff. And it, it makes, it's making a lot of sense in my head, um, but I, I'm realizing it doesn't necessarily make sense coming out of my head. So I really need the Holy Spirit to communicate to you guys because I'm not feeling real apt at that today. So I'm praying that God will lead us, guide us. So would you pray with me? We do welcome you, Holy Spirit, and your leading here. Come just uh, open our eyes, God. I pray for good soil in our hearts to hear your word to us today. Lord, your word's perfect. Our hearts are, are not, Lord. We need your help to, to cultivate some good soil in us. So come speak, Jesus. Thank you that you're in our midst, Lord. Thank you that you are building your kingdom, your rule, your reign is going forth here in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, God, you're, you're going forth, and we're so privileged, like God. So come do it, Lord. Come rule and reign in this, in this moment, God. We, we love you. In your name, amen. All right, so before we get into chapter 32, where we'll be focused, um, between chapter 16 and 32, the Israelites travel to Mount Sinai, and they get to Mount Sinai like in chapter 19. So they're at the mountain. God tells them to camp out at this mountain, okay? Um, and he tells the people through Moses to prepare themselves. That's, they get to Mount Sinai. He says, camp out and prepare yourselves for three days. And the word he uses is consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself, which means to separate. And he says, don't come near the mountain. For three whole days, don't come near this thing. And he, he sets up a real clear distinct, distinction between them and God. For three days, they're preparing themselves, and they realize that God is holy. God is completely different than they are. And he's about to speak to them, and so he wants them to prepare themselves. So he says, clean yourselves up, take showers, wash your clothes, don't have sex for three days, because I'm about to speak to you. But he's not just going to speak to them. He's going to enter into this covenant with them. The covenant that he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's like, it's like coming to fruition here in this moment. God's been promising them this. And, and he's, he's about to come down onto this mountain and speak to them. So I'm thinking, clean clothes, they took a shower, no sex, talk about a covenant. It sounds like a wedding to me. I don't know if it sounds like a wedding to you guys, but that's, that's kind of what my wedding felt like in a lot of ways. Just a lot of cleaning and getting ready because this big moment. And God pulls out all the stops for this moment. He, he, he makes a huge spectacle of this mountain. There's thunder, there's lightning, the ground is shaking, they hear trumpets blasting. God is coming down to covenant with his people. He's coming down to marry his people in a sense. And we know this because um, we, uh, sorry, in, I'm not gonna say that right now, sorry. We, he's coming down to covenant with them and the way he does it, it's real interesting. He calls Moses up the mountain. He calls Moses into this spectacle, uh, into this thunder, this lightning. And Moses comes down with these two tablets, and on them are what we call the Ten Commandments. It's the beginning of God's law, the God, God's way, the way he wants people to know him. So Moses gives these, these people um, the Ten Commandments. And here's how the Ten Commandments start. It says, God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, have no other gods. Have no other gods, for I am a jealous God. For I am a jealous God. This is how he starts into his law with his people. He communicates uh, that he is jealous. He communicates that he's coming down, and he also displays it. 
So they can see with their eyes that God means business because there's thunder, there's lightning, every ground's shaking. And he's telling them, have no other gods before me because I am a jealous God. And I, I don't want us to get too tripped up on that word jealous because I think you know, de- jealousy is typically a bad emotion to have. It's something that we shouldn't have. And I do think it's, it's reserved for God because jealousy it has a lot to do with the, the, the motive you know, behind it. Like a, a stalker has no right to the person they're stalking and being jealous for, right? But God has every right to his people. He has every right. And so he communicates to them that I am a jealous God. I, I have this emotion for you. I want only you for myself. That's, that's God's jealousy. It's a perfect jealousy. He's not an imperfect God who just flies off the handle and does weird things. It's a perfect jealousy, a perfect love that he's communicating to people. So after they hear the Ten Commandments, they, you know, God's come down, everything's shaking. The people are trembling, like literally shaking. And they say, don't let this guy talk to us, Moses. He means business. You talk to him. You talk to him and just tell us what he says. From now on, don't let him talk to us. We'll die if he talks to us. That, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a perfect response. God has displayed his power. He's shown that he's completely separate from them. And then he comes near to them and they respond perfectly in the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is just coming over them. And they tell him, we will do everything that you tell us to do. That's what they say to him. All the Lord has spoken, we will do. It's like this great picture, this wedding ceremony. God commits to them. They commit to him. There's a big celebrate, uh, big spectacle going on. So then Moses, after that happens, after he brings down the Ten Commandments, heads back up the mountain to get the rest of the law. And that's what happens between Exodus 19 and 32 that we're going to kind of skim through today. Because God downloads detailed, detailed, detailed instructions to Moses. It's an incredible law. It it tells him everything from uh, how to treat a foreigner in your land to what to do if somebody's ox, like, uh, kills your ox. Um, it describes how to worship God the right way. It describes the box they're to build to carry those Ten Commandments in. And even, it, even God even has a, uh, uh, he even tells them what color the priests are to wear and what their garments are to look like. God is very into the details here. And so he downloads this uh, to Moses. He gives them his law. For 40 days, Moses is up on that mountain. Um, so, that's what's happening up to chapter 32. It brings us to 32, and we're going to read uh, as Moses is about to come down from his one-on-one face-to-face retreat with the God of the universe. This is what's happening down, on, uh, down the, at the base of the mountain. So this is Exodus 32, first verse. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, remember he's up there 40 days, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. Aaron was in charge of them. Aaron's Moses' brother. So he's in charge while Moses is gone. And they say to Aaron, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Uh, Calf in the sense of a cow, not like a, you know, lower part of your leg. Was anybody thinking golden like lower part of your leg? No. I was. I I, I mean, come on. Got to be creative here. So he, he, he makes for them a golden calf, a golden cow. And look what he tells them. Or this is what the people say when they see the golden calf. These are your gods, O Israel. These are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So Moses has been gone for 40 days. They've just had this incredible moment of God, with God where he's come near, covenanted with them. They've said, we'll do everything you say. He's explicitly told them, have no other gods before you. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. And what do they do? They make another God and they say, this is the one that brought us out of Egypt. I mean, they've essentially cheated on God on their wedding night. 
Like they, they, they just had this incredible moment with him and they turned quickly. They turned so quickly in a matter of weeks. And we, we read hundreds of years later, God reflecting on this moment that happens in Exodus. He, he reflects on it through the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is telling the people that God's gonna give them a new covenant. And this is what God says. He says, it won't be like the covenant that I made with your fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So God has been betrayed. He, it's a picture of a husband who has been cheated on by a wife that he's just committed his life to. So does God just go back up on the mountain and just retreat and go to his room and cry and stew about it? Remember what he told them in the same breath that he said, I'm a, I, I uh, have no other gods before me. What did he say? He said, I am a jealous God. I am a jealous God. And we get to see a picture of what a jealous God looks like. He tells Moses, Moses, the people have betrayed me. They've turned aside quickly. Go down the mountain. Go down the mountain. Leave me alone, Moses, so that my wrath may burn hot against these people. And typically, you don't want the words wrath and burn to come out of God's mouth in the same sentence towards you. He is not happy. He has been betrayed. It's as if he's saying, how could you? Like, how could you? I I took you by the hand and took you out of Egypt. I saved you from slavery. I freed you through the Red Sea, and I provided miraculously through manna. I covenanted with you. I promised. I gave you my word and you've turned aside and worshiped worthless things. I should wipe you off the face of this earth. And that's what he tells Moses. He says, Moses, go down. I'm going to kill them all. And I'll start over with you, Moses. I'll just start over. Like I did with Noah, I'll start over. I can still keep my promise to Abraham. I'll start over. God is a jealous God. And is that, you know, that, that's the God that we worship today. It's not like his character has changed any. He is still a jealous, passionate God. Do you see how much he hates anything that would come between you and him? Do you see how committed he is to saving you and renewing you? Even when you feel cold, dead, and lifeless, he is hot, passionate, and for you because he doesn't want anything to come between you and him. Do you see that God? Do we, I, I don't know if I see that God. Because I wouldn't be bored, you know, half the time if I saw a jealous God that was passionate like that. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. We see that phrase a few times in the Bible come up. And typically, it's connected to idolatry. In Deuteronomy, it's the, it, it says that the people have walked away into uh, idolatry and God says, I'm a consuming fire. For some reason, this thing of idolatry just, just makes him burn. Like he's, he's not even happy about it. He's not shrugging it off. This is not a small thing. There's two ways though that we can read this story. So we, we read what has happened. And one way, the way that I typically approach this story is you can think, how stupid are these people? Like, they've just seen firsthand what God's capable of doing. They've seen plagues come on the Egyptians. They've seen the Red Sea miracles. They've seen all these incredible things. They were at the foot of the mountain that was shaking as God gave them his word. Before that moment, they didn't have anything written down from God. They weren't toting their Bibles around the wilderness. And here God gives them his law on tablets. They had all this visible evidence for for what God is capable of doing and who he is. And he said to them, explicitly, don't worship anything else. I, I, you know, I'm thinking, I've been waiting for God to be that, like, straightforward with me for, like, five years. And they have it. Like, he told them, straight up, don't worship anything else. And what do they do? They turn aside quickly and go right after what their hearts want. So that's one way you can read the story. Or we can read the story and think, wow. Wow, look how quickly... Look how easily humans turn to worship idols. Like they had all this evidence stacked up in God's favor and they still turned and worshiped false gods. 
I mean, that should cause us to tremble a little bit and be on guard and think, wow, if they did it, if they were capable of doing this, we aren't immune from this type of foolishness. We are not immune from this type of foolishness. I was having kind of a hard time connecting. So I knew this story was coming this week and I was having a hard time all week like connecting to it. Like, okay, I, I want to know like what God is saying to us. And I think it's because I've heard, I've heard a lot of like sermons on idolatry lately. It's kind of become a popular topic in the church and for good reason. And I listen to these things and they're good. I, I realize, man, my heart quickly turns aside to those things and worships other, other gods. Um, but then I'm kind of left like, I don't really have a clear idea where my idols are. It's kind of, I, I feel a little bit like, okay, I'm probably worshiping these things, but where are they? Like, what, what are the things that I'm going after? So more than anything today, I think there is good reason for us to be aware of idols in our lives and to be able to identify when we're worshiping things other, other than Jesus. But more than anything, I want us to know how to respond when we see these, when our, we see our hearts kind of gravitating toward idols. Because I just think that this is something we have to accept about being human. Like, we will always be battling the temptation to, to worship other people, other ideas, other experiences above Jesus. We will always be faced with this. And if, if all we do is learn, like, steps to identify idols, which are helpful... I just think we'll get into this kind of panicky mode of like always having to go on an idol hunt to make sure that our hearts are free of idols, which again, not a bad thing to do. But today I want us to see how to respond when we recognize that our hearts are turning because your heart will turn. My heart will turn. We need to know how to respond when that moment happens. And this story of the golden calf, it's not the last story of idolatry in the Bible. Like it keeps coming up all throughout the Old Testament, idolatry. It's just a theme throughout the whole Bible, even into the New Testament. It's as if God is saying, look, I've accepted this, that, that you people tend to, to worship other things other than me. Why don't you just accept it? Instead of like playing the self-righteous card, of like, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I don't worship idols. I haven't made a gold calf in like five years. So I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that gets us anywhere helpful. And I don't think it's helpful for us to think that we can just choose to not worship idols. Like it's, it's not a, 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 pow, like a, a game of the wills here. We'll lose that game every day. It's not just that we can wake up and say, okay, I choose to not worship uh, these idols. I, I believe wholeheartedly that God's given us a power to choose. He's given us a will. But to describe that will as completely free, I think is misleading because oftentimes our wills are very captive. Our wills are captive to what our hearts want. And this quote I came across uh, really, really drove it home for me. This guy, Thomas Cranmer says, what the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Our will, our choice, will follow our hearts. What we really, really deep down want, our wills will choose that every time. And then what we see in, in Israel here, we see that they were more in love with Egypt than with God. God had brought them out of Egypt, but Egypt still lived in their hearts. That was their home for hundreds of years, guys. It wasn't just like they took a, you know, a detour into Egypt for a few years and then were out. That was their home. That's where they raised their kids. That's where they probably learned to worship. They were, they've been fantasizing about Egypt this whole trip, talking about the kind of the good food they had back in Egypt and what life was like back in Egypt. Egypt still lived in their hearts. Their hearts loved Egypt. So it's not just that they got tired and like, I'm going to make a golden calf. No, that, that golden calf, so to speak, had been living in their hearts the whole time. And then they had the, mo- the opportunity to, to, to make it. Their wills chose what their hearts wanted. Is that making sense? How our, our, our wills are absolutely, God has given us the power to choose, but our hearts, our hearts are where idols reside. That's where, because idolatry is a worship problem more than anything. And worship is about our hearts, what your heart wants. So we got to focus on our hearts. And I wanted, I want to read this list to kind of help us maybe clue into what an idol might be. Um, it comes from this guy, Tim Keller. He wrote, 
kind of the manifesto on idolatry in our present day. He wrote a great book. And so here are some summaries of what an idol might be in our lives. And pay attention to the role your heart plays in this. Pay attention to the role your heart plays when, when gravitating toward idols. He says an idol is anything more important to you than God. An idol is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. An idol is anything you seek to give you only what God can give you. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. An idol is anything that becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity. I mean, it kind of summarizes it well. An idol is anything. It's anything. And the toughest thing about idolatry is that it's, it's good things, usually. Nobody makes an idol out of a root canal, right? Unless you're the dentist making money on that root canal. But nobody makes an idol of the things. We make idols of good things like money and family and sex and work. Like it's good things that God has given us to enjoy that become the ultimate thing. When these good things become God things, then they become idols in our lives. And that's what's so tricky. It's, it's anything. It's anything that your heart, that, that your imagination, your heart is consumed by. So I, I want us to pause here and just check in because in some ways we have to think about what you're thinking about right now. It's kind of like, what do you just daydream about? Like when you have free time, maybe you're bored at work or you're laying down on the couch after church. Like where does your mind just kind of drift without even telling it to? This is an issue of the heart, right? When I met my wife, I didn't go to her and say, I am choosing to marry you. That was not our first interaction. Our, my first interaction was I saw her throw a football at our college, and she had a better arm than me, and my heart was just like, I was done. I was just like, wow, I'm going to marry her. My heart wanted her. And then my will kicked in. I was like, I'm going to marry her. I'm going to marry her. She even tried to break up with me once, and I no, I'm going to marry you. Whether you like it or not, I'm going to marry you. Um, our, our, this, this idolatry thing is an issue of the heart, okay? It's an issue of the heart. So I want us to check in with what our hearts are doing. Because your heart, it's like you don't have to tell your body to take an oxygen, right? It's not like, take an oxygen, blow out carbon dioxide. Your heart just loves things. Like it's, it's built to love things. So we need to kind of think about what we're thinking about. What are our hearts gravitating towards? Fairly effortless, effortlessly. So to do that, we're going to pause and we're going to answer a question. If you have this book, it's in that. If not, it's up on the screen. This is a question I want us to reflect on because after I'm done talking, we're going to sing, we're going to worship Jesus, but I want us to have something in mind as we do that. I want us to have some idea of, okay, this, this is what my heart's kind of going to today. This is what I want to bring before God. Because I just think it'll help connect things better for us today. If we have something in mind, if we have some sense of where our hearts are gravitating toward. And uh, we can answer these questions to, to help us see that. What or who carries the most weight in your life. That's, that's a great description of worship. Worship is about glory, which is about weight. What has the most stake in your life right now? Who or what has the most, carries the most weight in your life? Who or what are you committed and devoted to? What are you committed and devoted to? And who or what are you making sacrifices for? That is just a summary of worship right there. Something has weight and means something to us. We're devoted to it, and then we make sacrifices for it. And be specific. Don't just say, well, I'm, I'm committed to money today. That's money. How are you committed to money? Is it that you wake up in the morning with a, a kind of a panic attack because of where your 401k is? Or is it that you're working 80 hours a week just to put more money in the bank? And you don't even know why you're putting more money in the bank. Be specific about this stuff. It's, we're not sinning in general here. It's not just like we have general sins. We have specific sins in our lives that I want us to connect with. I want us to see how our hearts might be gravitating toward these things. So before you do that, I want to answer this for myself because I saw an idol this weekend. 
Uh, I didn't see the idol at first. It's not like I sat down and was like, okay, going to find an idol. There it is. Know what I saw first? What I saw first was anger and frustration. I was having a heck of a Friday just a couple days ago. We were cleaning out the house, doing like spring cleaning, getting ready for a yard sale. And I had a day off. And I was going to make something of this day. I was going to get stuff done. Right? So I was very driven to get stuff done. And I saw that my family wasn't necessarily sharing in this drive. For one, we have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So it's like, what are they driven for? I'm not sure. But they weren't driven to clean up the house with dad. So the more I saw that my family wasn't sharing this, the more angry I got. And the more angry I got, the more they shut down. And the more they shut down, the more angry I got. And I was just fuming. I was muttering under my breath. I was just cleaning stuff up, probably getting a lot done, but with very angrily. And then I sat down on my computer and I was going to write a sermon on idolatry. <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm having a hard time connecting with this. I need a story to tell people. I, this isn't really connecting to my life. And boy, I'm pretty mad right now about how things are going out the house. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, there's an idol. I worship the idol of work. I've probably worshipped it my whole life, this idol of productivity. I wake up in the morning and I bow down at that altar and I'm going to get something done. I daydream, guys. And it might sound weird to some of you, but I daydream about having a productive day where I can cross things off my list. Literally. I don't even have to like think about it. It's like, I want to go home with something measurable. Like, I did this. Put it on the table. Look at it. And most of my days aren't like that. And so I'm angry about it because my lists are still, you know, long and there's projects undone. And I'm just mad about it because this idol that I serve has just become a slave driver breathing down my neck. And what's crazy is I get nothing done. Like I'm actually less productive, like serving this God of productivity. Like I think I'm going to actually just head out and it's like, I'm going to get something done. And I have a terrible day because of it. But those days when I can like, Unplug and be like, okay, God, what are you asking me to do today? More than my list, what, what's on your heart today? Those days I get a lot done and it's a lot more fun. But I saw how this idol, it consumes even my time off. Like my time off with my family, it's still there. It's like, I'm going to get something done. I'm going to get something done. I don't care if you're crying. I'm going to get something done. Man, so this, this is what I'm bringing before God today. This is what I'm excited to bring before him today and respond. This idol of productivity, of work that I've been serving for I don't know how long. And it can be helpful, you guys, to maybe trace your emotions back to these things. Maybe you just feel angry right now. You're not even sure why you feel angry. Just start thinking, why am I angry? Oh, yeah, this happened. Oh, and you're just, you, it, your anger, your fear, it can kind of point and turn you toward like things that your heart is wandering after. So would you take just a few minutes and try to answer this? There's no pressure. You're not going to turn it in. I'm not going to have you tell the person next to you what idols you got going on. Um, but just try to focus. Try to find something that you feel like your heart is steering toward. And remember, they're usually good things. So don't just be looking for like these nasty, deep sins that are like, you know, hidden in your life. It could be, but they could be really good things that have just become God things, that have become the most ultimate. Does that make sense? If you don't have anything to write on, I don't know, write on your mind or uh, take really good mental notes. Um, But just take a minute. Maybe we could put on some music so it's not awkward. Um, And just check in. Think about what you're thinking about. What is your heart right now just going toward? Maybe this sermon is making you really mad. Just tune into that. That could be pointing toward an idol. Okay? Take a few minutes.
All right, are, are you maybe seeing something clearly? Hopefully, you're not. If not, no pressure. Maybe something will come up as I keep talking. Um, I just want us to kind of have a sense of what our hearts are longing for, what our hearts are really wanting when we're really honest about it. I know we're all, you know, we, we love God, we love Jesus, we want him. That's, that's absolutely true. But these good things can creep up and start to become ultimate things. So then what do we do? If idolatry is a, a problem of the heart, it's what our heart wants. These things take residence in our hearts. We need one thing. You don't need a list of things to go do right now to hunt down your idols and kill them. You need one thing. You need one thing, and that one thing that you need and that I need is a new heart. We need a new heart. We need these old hearts done away with, these old hearts that love worshiping other things, and we need a new heart. And the way I see us, God giving us this new heart, as we look at what's going on in Exodus, are through two things, intercession and cleansing. Intercession and cleansing. I think is a great recipe for a new heart. And the thing is, with intercession and cleansing, you and I have nothing to do with those two things. That's what God does. God does those things. And we respond to the intercession and the cleansing. We respond to him interceding for us by repenting. We respond to the cleansing that he's given us by rejoicing. We repent, we rejoice. God intercedes, God cleanses us. And we need new hearts, and that's, that's the way we're headed. And we see what happens in, um, with Moses now. So Moses, um, God has just told Moses, Moses, get out of here. I need some time to myself because I am going to kill these people. So we're going to pick up the story there. In verse 11, Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, And said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I've promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. So that's Moses' speech to the Lord. And then the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on to the people. What a great picture of intercession. This is a picture of Moses interceding for the people of Israel. He's speaking up. He's stepping in for people who can't speak up for themselves. And he's saying, wait, God, relent. Remember your promise. He says, remember Abraham. You liked him. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You promised, God. Be faithful to your promise. Moses intercedes for the people. And then what happens? Moses gives this great intercession to God. And then Moses heads down the mountain with the tablets. He's like, wow, that was awesome. Heading down the mountain. And then he sees firsthand what is happening. He sees the golden calf party. The people are partying, they're eating, they're drinking, they're dancing. They're having a great time all in the name of this golden calf. They're they're, they're like having the, the wedding reception without the groom type of thing. Like they're just having a blast. Like Moses can hear it as he's coming to the camp. He's like, what is that noise? Sounds like a party. And then he sees it. And you know what Moses does? He's ticked. Like he says he burns with anger. Like the same language that God used. Moses now has that anger. And he throws down those tablets. And he's so mad at the people. And he goes about cleansing the people from this, this, this foolish, idiotic sin that they've engaged in. And people... We, who worship other things other than Jesus, we're in need of intercession. And we're in need of that cleansing. We're in need of somebody to step up, speak up for us, because we can't. And we need some cleansing to come, because we need new hearts. If we're going to walk free from these, these, this worshiping of idols, we need new hearts. So I want to turn, I'll put it up on the screen so you don't have to thumb through, but Romans 8 is kind of my favorite book of the, or chapter of the Bible right now. Romans 8 is brilliant. Paul's just laid out this awesome, like, 
declaration that there's no condemnation for anyone that's in Christ and just, it's beautiful. And then, in, uh, toward the end of, end of Roman, Romans 8, in, in chapter, or verse 33, Paul writes, in, in light of all these things, in, all, in light of God's perfect love and no condemnation, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who shall accuse the people God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? The book of Hebrews compares Moses and Jesus to each other. And they say that Jesus is worth more glory than Moses. And Moses intercedes for his people here. And then Paul is saying, Jesus, Jesus is your advocate. He's interceding for you. He's speaking up for you when you can't. Jesus Christ stands at the right hand of God on our behalf, telling God, don't don't pour out your anger. I paid for it. Jesus, the guy that absorbed all of God's wrath on the cross, now stands next to God and says, I paid for it. I paid for it. Pour out your favor, God. I paid for it. Pour out your favor on Mike. I paid for it. He is our intercession. We need intercession if we're going to have new hearts. Jesus is interceding for us. And what a person to have in our corner advocating for us. I mean, it can't get any better. He's perfect. God delights in his son. And his son's telling him, hey, I paid for it. I paid for it. So we need intercession. We need cleansing because we need new hearts. The cleansing that comes in the Exodus stories comes, uh, Moses, he, um, he's burning with anger. He grabs the golden calf, throws it in the fire. And then he grinds up the gold into fine pieces and throws it on the water and makes them drink the water. That's Moses' way of getting rid of the idols. Kind of crazy. But there's a cleansing that happens there through water and through fire. And I, God says, uh, Again, this isn't the last time the people of God serve idols. And this one time, uh, the, the prophet Ezekiel is addressing people that have served idols. Ezekiel 36. And this is what God says in response to them walking away again and serving idols. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. There's a cleansing that needs to happen from idolatry. And God says, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God promises to cleanse us from idolatry. We don't have to drink down the water of our sin anymore. Like God cleanses us now with that water. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Every bit of it, he cleans us. He promises to give us a new heart, a new spirit he's going to put inside of us. So there's a cleansing that comes by water. What about the fire? What is the cleansing that comes from fire? Fire is used to test things, to see what things are really made out of. And God is going to test and cleanse us with fire. And where I went in my train of thought, It was back to Romans 8. So after Paul says, Jesus is advocating for you, he's interceding for you, he's at the right hand, who can separate you from his love? He then asks this rhetorical question. So shall tribulation come between you and God? Shall famine, being really hungry? How about death? Can death separate you? He asks all these really terrible things. Like, how about this? Like, he's just like testing the waters. Can this come between you and God? And then he responds. He answers his question. Romans 8, no, no. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is fiery love. That is passionate, jealous love that says nothing, nothing's going to come between you and me. I am so committed to saving you that nothing will come between you and my love. 
I am so committed to it. It's, it's the, the fire of God's love. We don't have to stand under the fire of his wrath anymore. We get to stand under the fire of his love that wants us, that wants us to have new hearts, beating hearts, hearts of flesh, hearts that feel again, not these dead, cold, stony hearts that have been worshiping idols. He promises to give us a new heart and says nothing's going to separate. He is passionate. He is more passionate than you and I about this. He is so committed to seeing us free from this stuff. He wants us to have new hearts and to walk in newness of life. So that's God's job. He intercedes for us. He cleanses us. We can't white knuckle our way out of this stuff. We can't just do better and get clean. We need him. We need an intercessor. We need somebody stepping in for us. So then what do we do? We respond. We repent and we rejoice. We repent and we rejoice. Repent in the sense of we turn quickly. Just as we turned quickly to worship this, I'm going to turn quickly say, God, you're enough. You're enough now. We turn quickly. We delight in repentance and we rejoice. If you just repent and you don't rejoice, you're, just, you're going to despair. You're just going to wallow in your own sin and feel terrible about it. And if you just rejoice and you don't repent, you'll just like kind of ignore, like, I don't, I don't I can think about that sin over there. I don't need, it's yeah, God's love, you know, and, just, and you just try to go on like good emotions for, for as long as you can and you won't get very far either. We repent and we rejoice. We recognize that it's sin and we turn quickly, thanking God that he's made intercession for us. And then we rejoice that he's so committed to give you and I a, a clean heart, like a living heart. We repent and we rejoice. We have to fix our affections on Jesus. He's it. We see a fiery God in this story who is not content to see his people worship things other than him. And it's not because he's a jerk. It's because he loves you and I with a passionate, fiery, committed love. And he's made a way for us so we hold in our hands this thing that maybe came up for you. For me, you know, I, I realize like I'm serving work. Like I'm, I'm worshiping work and productivity. That's what I'm bringing before God today. And we don't bring it before him with despair, thinking like, ah, here I am again. I, I'm just always going to be like this. We repent. We say, I'm turning from this, God. I'm turning from these things. As best as I know how, I'm turning. And I'm rejoicing that you've made a way. You've provided a way in your son, Jesus. You've committed to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to give us a new spirit and a new heart. I want a new spirit and a new heart. These idols that I think are going to satisfy me, that are going to fulfill my life, just leave us dead and cold in the long run. I want hearts that are revived. You think the city is going to get revived through a bunch of people with dead, cold hearts? Absolutely not. God is so passionate. He is so committed to saving us and glorifying his name today. I want to just reflect a bit of that passion. That's why we love to sing. It's not because clapping is fun. It's because God is really passionate. Like he is really, he didn't wake up tired and sleepy today like I did. Like he's so committed to this. What, what would life be like if we knew this God, this jealous, committed, passionate God that wants to clean, clean us from all these idols? I think we'd repent a lot quicker when we realize, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping money again. Okay, I'm back. I repent, I turn. So we're gonna do that. We're gonna sing some. We're gonna make space to pray as well, but first I want us to sing. I want us to rejoice. We're gonna repent by rejoicing. We're gonna thank God. We're gonna sing a song that's happier than we feel right now because he is better than we think right now. He is, he is more worthy than we realize today. So the worship team is going to come. Let's stand with them as they, they come, and we're going to pray. God, to know this love, this, this, this passionate love that we'll, we'll never be separate from, God. Can we know it today? You, Lord, are, you're a consuming fire. You're not safe, Lord. You're not chilled out and don't really care. It's not a big deal. Lord, you are so committed to us today. 
Can we reflect you a bit today, God? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, teach us to repent. Teach us to rejoice. Teach us to repent. Teach us to rejoice. And tomorrow, teach us to repent. Teach us to rejoice, Lord, so that we'll never grow tired of it. You're the one, Lord, that's cleansing us. We're responding to you today, God. And you're good. These idols that we've seen come up in our hearts today, God, we bring to you. We bring to you in repentance and rejoicing. So sing to him. He's worthy. Even if, especially if you don't feel like singing to him. Sing to him. Especially if you don't feel like lifting a hand. Lift a hand to him. It's good for us to reflect a bit of this passion that God is is feeling toward us today. So let's bring these things to him with hearts that rejoice. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantbicelia.com. Until next time.